Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is actor Jonas Chernick, whom you may have seen in projects as diverse as Degrassi, The Next Generation, The Border, and How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town. He's also a screenwriter and producer, working with director Sean Garrity on My Awkward Sexual Adventure, Lucid, and Blood Pressure. Their latest collaboration, Borealis, casts Jonas as a father trying to outrun a gambling debt by taking his teenage daughter, played by Joey King, on a road trip to see the Northern Lights. It's opening the Brooklyn Film Festival this Friday, June 3rd, and it's available for rental or purchase on iTunes Canada right now. Jonas chose Swingers, the 1996 indie breakout that turned John Favreau and Vince Vaughn into stars virtually overnight, and set Doug Lehman on the path to Go, The Born Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and Edge of Tomorrow. It's a delightful, quietly self-aware study of Los Angeles manhood, bouncing from one energized sequence to another while always making sure we're fully conscious of certain key differences between Favreau's lovable, deeply insecure Mikey and Vaughn's swaggering chatterbox Trent. And the fact that Favreau wrote it for himself might have something to do with Jonas picking it for the show. This is someone else's movie. I keep lists. I mean, you, you have to for your work, but most, you know... I don't know how other film geeks do it, but I, I have a to, I have my top ten lists okay. for every year dating back to like 1970. I should probably go back even further, but it's, who has the time to do that now? So I pull out my top ten list, and I'm like, all right, let's see what I want. And you start looking at, well, that would be really fun, or that would be really fun, or that would be really fun. And I had like I had a short list. Uh, are you curious to know what else is on the list? I am. I'm, I'm trying not to interrupt. Uh, I mean, so when I like... So Pulp Fiction was on the short list, but I thought, there's no way I can do it. Somebody's already done it. I said, mm-hmm. no? Yet. No. Damn. Although someone did today, like three hours ago, I was talking to somebody oh. and he mentioned True Romance. Oh, and True Romance was yeah. on my list we have as well. Yet, we have yet to have a Tarantino. So that was on my list too. Uh, Say Anything was like a pivotal movie for me. Sure. Uh, the, the original Star Wars was like one of the most influential movies. But I thought, what do I want to talk? What could I talk about for, you know, a long time? And when my eyes hit the swing, I thought, well, that's the one. Because, uh, uh, A, it's unpretentious, and I, I love that about it. B, as, a, as the screenwriter in me, admires the simplicity and the, the personal, the personality of that screenplay probably more than any other script that was on my shortlist. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, and it just felt like it is a movie that I could talk about for for days on end, because there's so for me there's so much to it, and it's so personal to me, and the and, and where I was in my life when I saw it, and the context, and how it sort of shaped the direction of my career, all that stuff, um, it sort of just drew me to to swingers. Yeah, I totally see that. As soon as you picked it, as soon as I found out that that was what you wanted to do, it was just like, oh, well, of course, of course, because. We're about the same age. We're like we came up in that same window of independent film, the yeah. explosion of it. And I can totally see how you, who acts, who who acts, that's grammatically horrible. No, he who uh, acts, he who how, how a person who acts. Well, no. how yeah, how you yourself. Yes. I, I know your work. I know what you what you've written. I've seen what you've acted in. I it like it's right in your sweet spot. Yeah, but it's also in your sweet spot because in a weird retroactive way you've created that sweet spot for yourself as a writer and actor and that didn't even occur to me when I picked it and that's uh, you're kind of blowing my mind right now because <laughs> now when I think about it 
we were just talking about my sort of hyphenate sort of nature. Why my you know actor, yeah. writer, producer, the producer, writer being to support the acting. Right. And you got to think. I mean, I know from the you know interviews and the and the uh, oral histories and all that that that's exactly what John Favreau was doing. He was you know he wanted to do this for him and for his friends and you know to give him to give themselves this great project and give himself this platform to play this great character yeah and all of that and some of the tri- tribulations he went through i mean the whole the whole you know backstory about how they wouldn't let him direct it and and and, and what that ended up how the, how that must have fueled his fire yeah to become the director that he did i i all that's really interesting but yeah so mm-hmm. i guess in in fact it not only is it about what you know what interests me and do I connect with the subject matter but I guess the structure of how it was made and who made it and and how that all happened it kind of fits nicely too so yeah I mean there is a long history in Hollywood well at least in Hollywood success stories there's a long history of actors fighting to make the things that they wrote for themselves you know Stallone with Rocky and uh, even like right around that same time, there were Damon and Affleck were developing yep. Good, Good Hunting, Hunting yep. at Ed Miramax. And if you go further back, there's Kirk Douglas producing stuff for himself and the studios like United Artists. All of it has always been about artists, primarily actors, trying to take control and do the things they wanted to do. And a system that is not only indifferent to that, but hostile. Yeah. Uh, Angry about it. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean you want to do all these things? You can't wear all those hats. Your head will fall off. Exactly. I mean, it's just this weird sense that every time it happens, it's a miracle. That it got through. I feel that. First of all, I feel that way about any any movie getting made. That's true. That it's that that it's a succession of miracles. Not just like it's a miracle that we made the film to get there. There's you have to have there's about twenty miracles that each one has to has to happen has to occur in succession. Um, But yeah, I I often like I sit back and I think I look at myself. So it's one thing for for a star to do it. Sure. And I think obviously a star has, and you know, yeah. Brad Pitt sets up a production exactly. company. Things just kind of follow. He's it, doing great work, but right, he has the position to do that. Favreau wasn't a star when he made Swingers. Not yet. He, I think he'd done Rudy. Right? Yeah, yeah. He'd done. He was in stuff, but he was in stuff. I don't think anybody Same would know with, him beyond that guy. And Damon and Affleck. Damon and, and Affleck were not stars, but they were kind of around, and mm-hmm. you'd seen them. But so you think. Like I look, I look at myself in Canada, having now made like four films where I've ha- had a hand in writing it, had a hand in producing it, and played the lead role. And I'm, and I and most of them are budgeted fairly decent. Like my the budgets are good. You know, we're, we're talking about two million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. So I'm convincing people to give me two million dollars. <laughs> So that I can make a movie that I wrote and that I'm going to be pretty much in every frame of, and I've done it four times. And I'm looking, and I'm, I'm, and I'm not even. I don't consider myself even remotely close to the Canadian star system universe. I'm still this sort of fringe player, and I'm very happy with that. But I'm like, how is that possible? Like, who are these people, and why are they doing it? Yeah. Uh, and so I, I marvel at it. And then each time I embark on the next one, I'm like. I'm thinking to myself, well, it's not going to happen again. <laughs> like, I've fooled them enough. Yeah, right. I, it's not going to end. And then it does. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it is your latest one, you're opposite uh, White House Down star, Joey King. Yes. Who is... I've, I've, I've interviewed her, and I'm, I'm delighted to see her doing stuff that actually isn't safe. That yeah. she's going off and trying things. Yes. Uh, she's a smart kid, and I'm like, she's not even a kid anymore. When did you, for which project we did you interview talked, her? I think it was actually for... Oh, no, it was for Oz the Great and Powerful. Oz the Great and Powerful, Where yeah. she really just a voice for yep. most of it. She has a yep. tiny little appearance at the, yep. in the framing sequence. And she was already so far ahead of most people 
in their 20s on how films are made. Like, she's just absorbed all this knowledge already. Totally. And she was aware of, like, she, we were talking about the matching movement to dialogue and how she had to physically act it in the in the in the in the booth like she right. had to be very she said something about how delicate her arm movements had to be because she didn't want to break her wrists while she was acting she was pretending that she was Fra- fragile, fragile like a, the doll, a china yeah. doll and um yeah in borealis it's like that's a role that people would probably advise her not to take i think at this stage because they wanted to do studio stuff and yeah. the fact that she's just going forward and making small movies uh, same thing with shailene woodley in the you know like the divergent movies let her make other movies yeah so good for her yeah, good for her. Um, but, I mean, but, I guess she and I don't know about Shailene Woodley, but in Joey's case, it, had, it comes down to having a great mom. Mm-hmm. You know, having a mom that reads all the material and then the mom advises. So in, oh. in Joey's case, I think her mom is very influential, and her mom read it and said, "We, we you know, we got to do this." In between Independence Day sequel yeah. and you know, going in style, what she's doing, which is coming out next year with oh, Morgan Freeman, yeah. Ellen Arkin, Michael Caine. Like, it's crazy. She's working on these giant movies, these giant people. Right. But the and smaller you, films are where you can actually show people that you can act. That's because right. Because the bigger films don't generally have room for that. It's true. And, and you know, not including, like, I think Ramona and Beezus, which was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Joey hasn't had a lot of leads where she's the first, you know, number one on the call sheet. Right. And kind of the movie centers around her. So I think that was very appealing for her and you know she also would talk, worked really hard on the blindness element the gra- gradual blind, descent into blindness because I think every actor kind of you know, it's a cliche but it's true you kind of you love to do something that's well it's you know, so far from you right I mean that's the appeal of the acting gig right but it's also so, a little bit of that uh, is it Robert Downey Jr. that joke in Tropic Thunder about yeah, okay. you know full you know go all the way or not, you know, there's also a bit of that Rain Man you know you want to have that so I think I know that's a bit crass but I think there is an element of getting to show what you can do and feeling like that's a venue for it right so you've pulled this off you've made Borealis and, and it's yeah. it's finished it's done it's out there yeah. yeah and so that's a two million dollar picture that yeah you've, you've convinced yeah. the world to create to create yeah convinced enough people to do it yeah, yeah. So, that, but this time you're right I did have the ability to say but and we have Joey King and we have Kevin Pollock so right. You know, we have enough people. Oh, well, I yeah. like that guy. Yeah. Right. Oh, so it. Swingers doesn't have any of that. Like Swingers is a bunch of unknowns. Yeah. I think Heather Graham. Oh, that's Had true. done she, Drugstore Cowboy. She was around. She'd done Boogie Nights, I think, already. Or was that? The yeah, same it might year? have been the same year. Yeah. When I remember thinking when I saw it, thinking, oh, it's Heather Graham from Drugstore Cowboy. Okay. That was the one that I. So when I look at it now, having made these films at that level, like Swingers, and I think I bet you that that was a big attachment for them, that 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 having. Heather Graham, even though she wasn't Meg Ryan at the time, right. was enough to say, you know, when we got Heather Graham for this great final sequence, you know, that would have helped. But you were right. These guys had less than nothing. Yeah. 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 And out of it comes the kind of movie that you can make when there is nothing to lose. Like, they really have... Yeah. There, there is no floor for them. Nope. They're working with nothing. They've got the... Uh, I, I'm always amazed that in, an, in a point where... Tarantino films, the knockoffs had already started to dominate. I mean, Two Days in the Valley was oh, around, yeah. I and Richie was doing, they, but they were everywhere <laughs> yeah. right at that moment. And Train Spotting had already come out for that other side of it, the dialogue driven character piece that's also a genre film. Right. And here is this movie that you could sort of classify as, oh, it's a talking movie. Yeah. Because those were popular. Yeah. But it's so weirdly distinct and, like, I think. 
think the only other thing... I was trying to compare it to something at the time, and I couldn't, because the only other thing you could kind of compare it to was the Larry Sanders show, and that doesn't work. That's not a comparison that stands. Right. But they're both about cringing and, and the like the desperation of, of the masculine yeah. uh, male ego-id thing. Diner. Diner, yeah, A diner, little bit. Actually. I mean, a diner was... 12 years earlier yeah, but, but you can package it in your head as when being you about your friends and male friendship and sort of that hierarchy of you know I mean the, the code of swingers that, yeah. that gets you that gets you in the heart is is that you know as much as they're trying to get laid and, and ha- do all these things that the friendship the male friendship thing supersedes all of that right so in those moments you know there's the, like there's that great moment where they're in the in the trailer they finally picked up these girls in Vegas and they're in the trailer and Vince Vaughn is literally in the like about to have sex with this girl and Mikey calls him out you know and I need you we gotta go and he drops everything yeah. and he just go and he just drops everything to be there for his buddy to have that pep talk on the side of the highway and then, so uh, so but I know what you're, you're saying there's very little that you can compare it to and it is so distinct and I think that was that was the selling point that was what got me hooked that was what got yeah. people hooked in the first 10 minutes is the way that they the way they talked because yeah. it wasn't just a bunch of guys talking they had a language yeah it's right? it's very similar to in a weird way it's, it is similar to train spotting which made miramax perfect to market this even if they sort of did it against their will sure um and well, i mean when i when when it played tiff that year mm. um i remember it being it wasn't dismissed exactly but until we saw it, yeah. everybody just thought it was going to be a thing that just made it into the festival. There was right. this really weird sense of there was no excitement around it. There was no buzz around it. It was just this movie that was part of, uh, at the time, Alliance Releasing's lineup. Right. They were just, this was a movie also coming to the festival. Right. And there were bigger kind films of that year. Stuffed in. The yeah. It's list. just like, oh, and this is coming to, I think it was in contemporary world cinema. It was just, it's, it was thrown in. To, to our eyes, it just landed on the list of other films. And it wasn't you, pushed up. It wasn't tab- right. It wasn't highlighted. Yeah. Did you see it at the industry screening or a public screening? I saw it at a press screening okay. underneath the old famous players building in that terrible little screening room, and it played. Yeah, I'm 30 sure. People and we all loved because it. it sold. That's that screening is where it sold to Miramax because mm-hmm. my two best friends saw it either the next day or the day after right. at, a, at a at the first public screening. Okay. And they announced oh, the to the audience uh, that they had that Miramax just bought the movie. Yeah. He, and my friends, I remember my friends saying, first of all, they said, you got to see this movie. You're going to get to because these guys who made the movie were there and they were at the front and they were freaking out as they introduced the movie. And, it, and the place went nuts when they announced that we just sold the movie to, to you know. But, um, yeah, definitely by the time Favreau was doing interviews. Yeah. Uh, he was part of the Miramax, like the film was part of the Miramax family. Right. Because we met very briefly on the press day as I was being ushered through the room. The TIFF press day? Yeah. Oh. We didn't actually get to, I didn't talk to him properly on an interview footing for like, until Chef. But we met, we bumped into each other and mm. it was just like, all I could think of was, oh, wow, you're, you're the guy who made this, that movie yeah. came out of you. Yeah. And he was just really, I think he was kind of overwhelmed. He was just dealing with a bunch of things at once and sure. there were people swarming around and I just said oh hey I really liked your movie and he's like thanks and we just moved on to our other, our separate engagements But right. and that happens at the festival all the time but he looked like he didn't know what was going to happen next like literally from second to second he was uncertain of what sure. the day was going to bring yeah for sure Well, he was, I can't even imagine he was like living that dream right yeah and spawned accidentally uh, an entire culture of, of television and cinema that I 
can't stand like entourage and all that stuff they that's swingers. funny you're right i yeah. mean i've never thought oh, about entourage as yeah. like as like a bastard child or, yeah uh, you like know, the mutant bro culture mutant. version of it absolutely yeah and completely missing the mark on the heart and you know the authenticity of what made what makes swingers special when you watch those guys in entourage you're just they do not feel like actual friends they do not they don't have the you know it's all it all just feels such like such artifice yeah it lacks the commentary really or the insight or the or the even humanity of humanity of what lacks Favre's the heart. doing yeah it lacks the simplicity in the heart you know and all the, and the world therein is I guess the opposite world to I mean the opposite end of the spectrum yeah they're the already world successful they're already successful so but there's nothing in Entourage that even suggests that it would know what to do with the answering machine sequence, which no. I just, yeah. I mean, there were moans in my screen. Oh, yeah, People too. just couldn't bear it. Yeah. And so uh, for those of you who may not have seen Swingers, why are you listening to this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's weird. Press pause, yeah. go watch it. It's on DVD. We'll wait, then come back. You're back yeah. now. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a film about desperation, but not despair. It's about, like, it's kind of, well, I'm jumping around in my head now, but it's sort of a spiritual cousin to Magic Mike 2, in that it's about outrunning hmm. the misery that you have waiting for you at home. Like, that's the, the loneliness and the sadness yeah. that you won't admit to anybody, even your best friends. And the way that, you know, ultimately, it's about showing us that Mikey, for all of his ineptitude and self-doubt and neurosis, he's going to be okay, because hmm. it's about learning to transcend the... The Trent. That's in, what it's about for me. It's yeah. about that, that learning to transcend, which is in itself like kind of a coming of age or growing up, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, I always thought, thought, think of it as, when I think of it from screenwriting terms, that it's like, it's the journey from not being, being completely obsessed with the pain that you feel over your broken heart. Yeah. You know, of, of, it goes, it's the journey from begging for that, praying for that phone to ring for her to call to her calling and you not wanting to answer it basically yeah. it's that journey and which to me is is like microcosmic but also it's just so it's grandiose it's this wonderful coming of age and and anyone who's had who's experienced heartbreak who's who's been you know been dumped or who's you know been left or cheated on or whatever knows that pain and yeah. knows the journey of and i think when i saw it I might have been in the same place. I'm trying to... And now this is coming back to me. I think when I first saw it, I was in the pain part where okay. I was still hurting from the from the breakup. From My heart was still broken. Oh, God. So and seeing totally him... Receptive. Yeah. And I think now that I'm putting it all together, seeing him recover and find that little confidence at the end that helps him, that kind of saves his life, w- was profoundly impactful on me. Yeah. yeah. So when what was your when did you see it? What was your first experience of it? Theatrical, saw, video? yeah, theatrical. I was living in, uh, I'm born and raised in Winnipeg. I was still in Winnipeg. I hadn't moved to Toronto yet, and uh, I was living in a, an apartment in the artsy village. And I was a part-time actor. I was a, I was running a grocery shopping service to pay the bills, but then I was acting in little day player parts in film and TV, and just really thinking about moving, making move to LA or Toronto, and really trying to figure all that out, and starting to write stuff in my spare time, and. And I saw it at the Grand Park Cinema in Winnipeg, which is like my old neighborhood theater that I grew up watching movies in. Okay. Uh, but I had been warned about it because my friends had seen it at TIFF and had said, you're going you're gonna to love this movie. 
And my experience of watching it was all this stuff, but also the de- it was in the details. Everything these guys did, I was doing. The, from playing that Nintendo ice hockey game <laughs> and like trying to make the heads bleed yeah. to the way they played golf, which was like they weren't golfers, they were just on the course. And they'd get to the green and they'd be like, okay, well, let's count up. We're doing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No, 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 I'm going to go with ten. I'll go with eight. You're going to eight? You can do eight, I'll do eight. We golfed that way. Like right. everything in it matched what we were doing, uh, what my friends and I were doing. And and then the way they talked, we had our own language with our own quirky, evolved ways of speaking. And then they had that in the movie and theirs was so energetic and fresh and funny and odd and we thought, and of course we thought, oh, now we can make, a, we'll just write a movie. We were those guys. We were like, right. let's write, and we did. We wrote one. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, we'll just use our, the way we talk in our language. And um, yeah, that didn't work. And that, yeah. that also, but that experience then of not, of not being able to emulate what they did uh, was also, as a, you know, in my, it was in my early 20s, was also really eye-opening and inspiring. Well, so it's not that easy. Yeah. You can't just write your own experience and talk the way you and your friends talk, and, be, and it doesn't naturally come across as charming and funny. You have to actually put some work into your craft, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I was in Winnipeg, and it really did help inspire me to, to make the move to Toronto, which was a big, obviously, a, a huge career move for me. Sure. And hugely intimidating, I would think. Hugely intimidating, yeah. Also, to just be confronted with a movie that... Yeah, I... I there's a handful of films where I would I've sat through them and thought, oh, this movie was made for me. Like I don't know how they, yeah. I don't know how they did that. Yeah, because I should do that. Like that should be coming out of my brain. Yeah, instead of plugging into it. That's um, exactly how I felt. Like they wrote this, they made this movie for me, yeah. for me and my three buddies. And when that reaches you at a certain point, like it's it's you know it's partially about what the movie is, it's partially about who you are in that mm. moment. But that feels so great. It feels so. I got it with train spotting, where I have never mm. been a, a Scottish heroin addict. Right, you haven't? No, it's weird. Oh, uh, I have. I missed that window. Yeah, you, yeah, you got a time. It's not too late. <laughs> Get out there, man. But it's one of those things where you just come out of it going, yeah, um, I don't know why that is my life, because it's not. Right, but, but it felt the like... The energy was right, and the, the music was like, all these songs I'd never heard properly before. Right. I knew them, but I hadn't it's the contextualization of everything in that moment where you just walk out bouncing. Yeah. Um, it got, the movie got me rather than the other way around. Like when you actually have that, you can create that illusion sure, in your mind. It's sure. like, Oh, that movie gets me. It's like, no, you've got the movie. That's what that is. But in that second, when, when it's over and you're just left vibrating with this incredible sense of having been where you should be. Yeah. Artistically. Yes. Somehow that's so great. And it almost never happens. And it's so wonderful. Like another one, I think maybe it was just the mid '90s for me, but like Out of Sight is another one. Yes, I was talking about with with uh, Chris Smets, where it's just like, yeah, this is this is how this should be. This is what this movie needs to be. But there's a distinction. I'm with you. There's a distinction there between feeling that way about the craft of the movie, which mm-hmm. I had on tra- when I watched Transpotting. I had it when I saw Out of Sight. I had it at Pulp Fiction, where mm-hmm. I just sat there with my jaw open, like an aesthetic. Profession. Aesthetically. This movie was exactly is it, it fits right into my slot like it's exact with swingers it was it was a different experience because it was that in addition to that it was and it happens to be about a person or people in a world that it I feel like is my world right so like Pulp Fiction yes amazing re- resonated f- for me in a way I had, had an experience but I but I didn't understand the world or the characters it wasn't like I 
related to the, right. you, know, you know what I mean? The, the, the yeah, voice so, of it. So this one is also relevant to who you That's are. That's the thing. So uh, Breakfast Club was the only other one I could think of okay. where at the age when I saw it, I felt like this movie, not only does it fit exactly in my aesthetic little cubby, but I feel like it's it's about me. It's about my experience of high school. Right. You know, for me, it was I was the. I'm sure you could guess I was the Anthony Michael Hall character. I think we all were. Yeah. Well, People I guess you and I were right. the film geeks were, but yeah. I don't know. Does everybody? I mean, it I was think anybody one... who talks about the Breakfast Club for any length of time is going to identify with either I guess so. Hall or Sheedy, depending. Yeah, the two. That's who we right. see we, ourselves are. But yeah, the rebels don't go like, man. When I saw, yeah, when I saw Breakfast Club, I was like. That's John Nelson is me. No, yeah. by the nature of that, then you're not watching wrestling, and you're certainly not talking about it 40 years later. Yeah, well, these are the guys who make Entourage. Right. Like, they're exactly. the guys who come out of swingers and go, oh, you know what we yeah. should do? We should do, yeah. What about us? Yeah. So uh, Chandler Levac did a live reading of, of the Entourage script with women. Like a, a, Her first feminist live read was a, was a gender-swapped Entourage reading. Of an episode? or The, the pilot. Of, and she read the, she read the script notes, and like, these guys have absolutely no sense of... Right. Of... Um, <laughs> irony or, or self-awareness it's just like the, I think the last line is as they board the jet it's like no uh, what is it no check it no 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 security guards for these for our boys and it's just like are you kidding me <laughs> this is not how you see the world but then of course entourage becomes this weird aspirational thing uh, where you see it because you want to be with those guys and you imagine what parties would be like and like non-stop yacht yeah. time but you see swingers and you're just so glad you're not them exactly uh, but in a good way, like in yeah. a positive way, you know, their yeah. suffering is our is our education. Exactly, it's, it's, you can be empathetic towards Mikey, maybe not so much for Trent, but like, but Trent too a little bit though. That's what that I mean. That's kind of what that that that's how why it works so well. Yeah, maybe you know it's different with Trent because with Trent there's also that you feel like you're you're seeing him in an ironic way. Like you're seeing him in, in a way that's kind of up and out. You're 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 watching him through the eyes of Mikey a little bit, yeah. But you're also drawn to him and his charisma, and in a way that you're that you're conflicted by. You're like, this guy's. There's something I want to hang out with that guy, even though he's a train wreck. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Um, he is the most entertaining guy in the room. Like the casting of Vince Vaughn yeah. is at least as important to the film's success as Favreau having written and and, and uh, starring in it. It's yeah. so it's in tandem. They're equally important. Yeah. yeah. Like there was a point. People don't believe me when I tell them now you were there you remember mm. but there was a point where Vince Vaughn could have done anything like yep. he was actually he played a serial killer he played right after he, that yeah like the for the next the his next like few he, choices he was he could, all over the place yep. he was a utility guy and he was good in all of them mm. he's uh, the lost world I don't know why people don't like it now right. or whether like him in it yeah. I mean I don't love the movie but I, he, and he's great it's in a it. beautifully cast film like Julian Moore people forget Julian Moore's in that I mean, she's great in yeah, it too true, yeah. the, the Hitchcockian devil yeah for sure um, it's just a movie that no one remembers because the last 20 minutes is so not a Jurassic Park movie that it takes you out of it right but the um, but the, there was a time where Vince Vaughn was not just the guy who talked fast yeah and if you look at Swingers you can see that because he's layering the performance just enough that there is more going on. like Trent is trying to outrun his own mouth yeah but it's not a positive like it's, no. it's not the positive trait that it would become in all of Vaughn's other stuff yeah where like movies like Fred Claus or Wedding Crashers where this guy can he can handle any situation and just talk people into doing what he wants it's like yeah but he he's trying to talk women into bed in this movie that's right. all he's doing because that's all he wants to do and, and it's tragic we like, see its limits yeah it's, exactly. it's tragic and when you when you look at that la- that very last scene when they're in when they're in the booth yeah 
and he thinks that the girl is giving him the eyes. Yeah, he creates an entire relationship. Yeah, and it's just great. Another, just another classic Trent moment, and you're right with him, and, and Favreau's kind of going along with it. And then the, the turn, that's how the movie ends, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. that turn. It's not about Mikey. The last beat is about Trent having that turn and the vulnerability in that. It's really quick, and, and the movie's over. Yeah. When he realizes what's happening and that she's not making eyes of him at all, she's making eyes of the baby, and he turns back to Favreau and he's like, "So what were you? What was I?" And he stammers. He can't even find the words. Yeah. He actually, the last line that Vince Vaughn has in that movie, he, he doesn't have it. He's not. He's inarticulate. He's not saying anything. Yeah. He runs out. He runs out, and it's of... and that's the humbling of of Trent in that moment, right? Which is like it's just this tiny little beat. It just got me. It was. It's so perfect, and it's really what where you go. Okay, now this guy, this guy is going to be able to do anything. But I kind of felt like those movies he made afterwards. You're right. He's good in everything because he's just charisma personified. I kind of feel like he was also testing the waters. Like, I, I now have this rare opportunity where I can do whatever I want. Was it Clay Pigeons? Yeah. Or uh, and there was a Psycho remake. I mean, there was yeah, a few oh, Psycho remake also with Julianne Moore. So underrated. There's a few things in there where where we love him and Vince is great in all those roles. But you also, I also felt like he's figuring out. How far can I, can I go outside that faster? How how far will they let me go? Right. Because he was not well received in those roles. Like you and I appreciate him because we love him, but you know, the reviews were not kind. Yeah. Really. And make and more swingers. Like they were just go back to there, which is when he got back in sort of the Will Ferrell world and started doing just okay. I'll do the fast talking, wisecracking, lovable best friend, funny yeah. guy. And he's and he's tried to get out of it again with like the second season of True Detective yep. and all that stuff where he's and that Starbuck remake. That's right, Delivery Man. Yeah. Where he's pushing against it and letting someone else be funny. Yeah. And I'm, like, I... The the comedies haven't burned me out on him. I still want to see him work it and yeah. try to do new things. Me and I too. think as he gets older, he's going to age into something interesting. Yeah. Um, that, that Or rather, that people will see that he's interesting again. That it'll come back around. But it's it must be incredibly frustrating 20 years later to just get stuck in movies i mean he was producing them it's not like he was right. like a prisoner of, of his own no no type, he was but, choosing them but yeah it did feel weird like stuff like fred claus and four christmas it's like every year there would be another bad vince vaughn comedy the breakup was that oh one? the breakup yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and i think back to stuff like you know return to paradise the one right the, the, the thai prison movie yes uh for lack of a better term there was that and Broke Down Palace that came out right around the same right. time and they felt like mirror images of yeah. each other and neither of them is exactly good but they're still acting in it and you yeah. want to... You just... like There is so much of Vince Vaughn's potential in in Swingers that we have yet to see realized. And, and with Favreau, he almost rejected acting after a certain point and plunged into filmmaking. Totally. He absolutely... I mean, I don't mean this negatively, but he peaked acting-wise. He peaked with swingers. I, I think mean, so. Yeah, I enjoy him every time I see him on camera. But I also get the feeling that he's he he wants to be doing other things. Yeah, which is interesting because you know when he when he created the film and when he when he volley volleyed himself in to try to direct it and really lobbied to direct it. I mean, you could he wanted to be a director. Oh yeah. Um, and it is like a totally a writer's movie. It's, you know, it's you know, bizarre way. Not that not that Doug Lehman doesn't give it life. No, of course he does. Um, but it is scenes of people talking and scenes of people talking and scenes of people hurting and scenes of people talking. Yeah, it's it is very much a film where you pay attention to what's going on emotionally and you enjoy the dialogue for 
you know, the rhythms of it are great, but it's not... You, no one comes out of Swingers and thinks that's a fantastic piece of cinema. It's no. good. Like, it's a, an enjoyable watch. Yeah, movie. yeah. Oh, there's moments in now where... Because now that I understand... At the time I was young, I didn't really know what the director... Well, I didn't really know what to chalk up to the director and what to the writer. Right. Now when I watch it, I, I uh, there are moments where I think there is a a, 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 a really deft director hand. I'll tell you when it is. It's yeah, these, please. There's a few of these film references throughout mm-hmm. that are that we all we all tried to do at that time it was these heavy it becomes like it was very heavy handed yeah. there's the slow-mo shot of them closing the doors and walking which is like this was the slow-mo from I guess Reservoir Dogs yeah I think so and, and then putting on they're putting on their sunglasses they're all cool and it plays perfectly and I'm watching like why is this working why does this not like roll eye-rollingly and then there's one that where they they're talking about the track. They have a conversation with the tracking shot in Goodfellas, right? Which is itself. And then they, then then they replicate it when they're yeah. walking into the back of the club, and instead of rolling your eyes and going, "Oh, here they go," they're you know they're do, they're they're doing what you know what we hate. It it just you just there's an affection. Yeah, there's an affectionate sort of wink, and it just plays beautifully. Yeah, and I think that's the director. I think based on, yeah, based on the the. The vibe the film sets up, I will credit Lehman with that. I mean, easily, like he's sure. the one who's steering it into a kind of a polished professional. It, it would, I suspect, it would be a lot more ramshackle, just given yeah. what he did with Go Grit, as grittier well. and yeah. Subsequently, he he makes it glossy. He makes it feel like yeah. it isn't a cheap film. He makes it. He makes a value of everything. Uh, that he has on hand, including camera work and music, and, and just the lighting is gorgeous in some scenes. Though, and it doesn't need to be. It's there is no uh, the pancakes during the Renaissance sequence has the beautiful <laughs> lighting, uh, not of a Vegas fluorescent room, but it right. actually looks like a space you'd want to be in. Yeah, uh, like a little oasis almost yeah, 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 from yeah, the yeah. neon. But it also fully captures that that just the he he knows enough to frame. The rejoinder to that, which is, yeah, yeah, Voltaire, hold on. That great little throwaway line that the waitress has where she has her moment where it's not, like, it's not straight on, it's not a boring shot, it's just an interesting little fillip in the way a flourish at the end of that scene. uh, Yeah, that's a great touch. Yeah, everything, everyone gets their dignity, everyone has attention paid to them. Yeah. Um, And when a joke bombs, it's a bomb within the movie rather than a bomb in the movie. Like, we know, we're allowed to know, and, and this is something that I've talked about before on the show, I'm sure... But one of my favorite things in the world is watching a movie that knows it's okay for the movie to depict someone making a mistake and not judge them for it, right. but also to let us know that the movie knows that this is a mistake. Hmm. Like the, and that's part of that is the direction, part of that is the script. Certainly in the scene, in the in the answering machine sequence, which is the single most you know, and this was in a decade that had. Uh, Benny's video and Reservoir Dogs and and you know there are four Haneke movies I think made in in the nineties but they're and they're all excruciating uh, the ear torture sequence in Reservoir Dogs but the scene of Mikey just looking at the phone and picking it up again over and over and over again is possibly the most uncomfortable I have been in a movie theater I would say so yeah. and that, certainly in the nineties in that decade maybe Man Bites Dog but but yeah. just. And unlike the so Reservoir Dogs ear cutting scene, which is also obviously you know gut wrenching, it's not about it has nothing to do with. There's nothing. It's not about a visual gag. It's not about horror. I mean, yeah. not about physical horror. It is about horror, yeah. but it's a different kind of horror. Well, it's self inflicted. Like that's it. He is doing. He is choosing to do this, and he can't stop. I mean, he's not. He's he's compelled to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's just so. Like, that's a that is the perfect 
combination of a filmmaker, a writer, an actor, like just knowing exactly how to present this. Because yeah. you could screw that scene up so many different yeah. ways. Or you could play it for laughs, and I kind of like it. Kind of does it? It, did, it, it played for laughs when I saw, when I saw it, but it was uncomfortable after. Right? Yeah, I just felt so queasy. Yeah, <laughs> by the end of it, I think I was on the verge of an aneurysm. It's just... But it also, it also, it's also that fine that fine uh, art of knowing how far you can go with it. Yeah, and then it, just when you think it's gone for over the line it keeps going and that somehow redeems it's it's like that it's the rake gag it's the rake gag it's the it's the rake gag exactly yeah it goes around being funny again yeah comes back around i'm just as we're talking about it i don't know i don't know the listener can tell how clenched i am at this point you are very uncomfortable i don't like watching him hurt himself yeah you could turn a piece of coal into a diamond right now but it's such a fascinating like just that is the scene that would be cut from every mainstream film mm. like or up until that point it's the scene that no one thought to include yeah and that's why like that's why i i think favreau is doing something so weirdly daring by playing that role himself and that, i think that's why he needed to mm. write the film like that somebody a theater producer once said that a stage play it was Rudy Correa who used to write for the Star, I think, as well, and, and ran Theater Pass. He was Pass Mariah. Yeah. He said once, and I've, I've always remembered it, that the play needs to tell me why you had to write it. Right. Like, that's the thing that a stage play does that film doesn't always do, and that television almost never does. Right. You need to see the reason. Right. And that's the personal. Yeah. The reason. Why did John Favreau write this movie? I think you can answer that. It's right. so evident. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so evident, and see, that's really that's really why I'm, why for me it had such an effect as a, even a notch above Train Spotting, Pulp Fiction, True Romance, you know, Reservoir Dogs, all those movies that that punched me in the gut and really like because there was something so personal about it, and and yet not 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 um, not self indulgent, like right. it didn't feel like we were being pulled in and forced to watch these like like entourage sometimes would feel that way like yeah. we're being forced to watch these you know i didn't feel like i was being forced to watch a world that i didn't want to be welcomed into but you can definitely see what it was in and, and it was so influential for me that the next three scripts that i wrote and probably the first the first three films that i made were all they all and this is just occurring to me now as we talk about it they're all essentially about a character trying to get over um, uh, a broken relationship or a heartbreak, right. and they all oh God, and they all essentially <laughs> have the same ending, which is as a version of the. I'm away from this now. I've good, moved on, good. Yeah. but they all have essentially important. the same ending, where essentially the phone call comes and he doesn't take it. You know, there was no phone calls in mind, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, you see, it, you see, yeah, they're turning towards a better. Yeah, it's kind of dangerous to be that influenced by a piece of work, like because now, now that I, really, I don't think anyone would make this comparison, would make that comparison, but I can see it now, and I'm going to have to uh, deal with that on my own <laughs> <laughs> to reconcile that somehow. There was a. There was a window, there was a really weird period of time where somehow movies were inexpensive enough, yet still being shot on film. And, and right. you know, like the, before the digital revolution, there was a window where you got the sense that anybody with $300,000 and one star could make a movie. Yeah. And you can see, in Swingers, you can see why that theory works, because sometimes it hits. But right. you also have to endure a whole bunch of other ones that are not that good. Yeah. Or good at all. And I, I think like it's really interesting that although Favreau clearly inspired people to make movies, like a whole raft of them, mm. uh, 
so few of them actually are this. Like nobody tried to replicate swingers. You can take the lessons from it. You can take right. aspects of it. Not like the way they tried to replicate Pulp Fiction or yeah. or, yeah, or even Transpotting. There was a bunch of those sort of drug induced sort of high octane. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, there's there was a whole stream of them, and there was a movie. Well, there was uh, there were a couple of films that attempted. It wasn't even the movies themselves, but there were, there were distributors at the time. And the VHS boom, God help us all, uh, that uh, that were buying movies that kind of had the same sort of hangout feel and slapping similar art on them. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. There, like there was a Noah Baumbach movie that he shot as a while he was shooting Mr. I want to get this Kicking right. And screaming. Yeah. After that, he made a movie. There was a film released called Highball. Which, I, ne- I yeah, never saw it. He didn't. He directed it, sort of. It's released under a pseudonym, and it's not... I don't think it reflects his intentions anymore, uh, but it's just a bunch of assembly footage, almost, uh, of people at a party kind of movie. Right. And it was packaged to look like swingers. It was like it was a matchbook cover, right. art, and, and I think Eric Stoltz is fo- photographed into or photoshopped into a Trent-looking suit that he doesn't wear in the film. Huh. But there was this weird attempt and, uh, to create, to bottle whatever swingers was. But it was... I don't think anyone ever got it. I don't think anyone ever really understood it. And even when Made was released, it was supposed to be the next swingers, and it really isn't. No. It's a very different film. I don't think he attempted to... I don't I don't think he was trying to re- oh, yeah, do no. that. I think he clearly went in a different direction. But it's interesting you say that, because I guess when you look at swingers and you try to like break it down and deconstruct it and go, well, how can we make... How can we do this? Like we, like my friends and I tried. Sure. There's elements that you can go, well, it's guys that, guys that are really tight, and they try to pick up girls together, and... They talk in a in a unique way, and they have catchphrases like "You're so money" and, yeah. and you know "Vegas baby." And uh, but that's it. Like that the, that's just the like again. That's the artifice, right? That's just like the decoration. That's the icing on the cake. That has nothing to do with the mechanics of how it operates underneath. And that would would have been impossible to replicate. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to try to make a movie with a bunch of actors. You know, struggling in L.A. That yeah. just sounds so boring and it does. awful. There's probably a way to do it. I mean, there's always a way. Right. But yeah, it, it's the only films, the only projects that have sort of picked up from Swingers and done anything with it are, there is an entourage, there's yeah. a dark side. Yeah. And not understanding it. And then there's the Hangover movies, which were embraced. Yeah. But for the same reasons people misunderstood Swingers. Like, at the Hangover, the first one anyway, is this really weird kind of subversion of what entourage is it's like right. showing you just how horrible it would be to have this sort of night of debauchery right and i've always been amazed at both what happened to the film the way it was received and the way that um the sequels took it yeah uh, in that direction and yeah. just tried to make it more of a party feeling because the first one is a nightmare yeah uh, and it's absurd and it's weird and there's a tiger in mike tyson and it right. just keeps getting odder and more panicked and uh, bradley cooper came through toronto uh for yes man and we talked then about how he was about... He had just finished shooting The Hangover, and all he could say was like he couldn't believe that Warner Brothers was going to throw money at these, this insane dark comedy they that thought, he and two other weirdos had made. They thought they were making like like a, like a kind of a darker swingers. Yeah. Like, and, and, like after and, hours swingers. Yeah, kind of and hybrid. casting Cooper makes sense in that because he's right. equally... like He could be a Trent. He's slick and fast. Yeah. Talking. He's capable of it, and totally. certainly that's how the character sees himself, but that's not what the movie is right and then by the time the third one comes out it kind of is because it's easier to steer into yeah it's easier to go into that skid than it is to try and say actually what we were trying to do was this really ugly thing about how white guys are idiots and don't know what they're doing and this is like an overprivileged middle class upper class upper middle class thing and all this commentary that just gets thrown away because i, I just i can picture favreau and vaughn hearing about the hangover 
and then seeing it and going, oh yeah, yeah I kind of get that. We get that. And yeah. then watching else, what else happens to it. And at the same time, John Favreau is making three hundred million dollar like movie. He, yeah. he basically invents the Marvel Cinematic Universe with yeah. Iron Man by accident. Um, because Iron Man also was not supposed to be that or I don't I don't I'm not an expert on this because I'm not interested in that universe but okay. I'm, having seen Iron Man and then hearing a little bit of John talk John Favreau talk about it I think what he's doing with I mean Iron Man is is it not sort of a comedy oh it is it's yeah. very much a comedy it's 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 as weird and subversive of comic book stuff right as it can be um, and, and that's worse so than it should be, and that's why it feels so great. And did that set the tone for the Marvel universe? Because they're not all they kind of clawed comedic it back very quickly, right? Okay. Yeah, but Iron Man and and to a lesser extent Ant Man are the only Marvel movies that work because of who they cast rather than what they're doing. Was Guardian of the Guardians of the Galaxy is great, but it's a freak show. Like, it's a, I, and I love it, yeah. but it's a, sort of self contained. Like because James Gunn was allowed to go off and make right, right, right. a weird little space movie because yeah. it's not really connected to the other films, and he could be as silly and weird as he wants. And, yeah. and I love that they reached the point where here, here's two hundred million dollars, James Gunn, do whatever you want with right. our characters as long as you follow these beats. Uh, but it's also why Edgar Wright doesn't finish Ant-Man because right. it stops being what he wants it to be and it becomes something very, very different uh, because of the Marvel Universe restrictions. But the casting of Paul Rudd is genius because you don't have to create a character. You let Paul Rudd be, be Ant-Man Paul Rudd, yeah. the same way Downey is perfect. Right. For perfect yeah. for Tony Stark and Iron Man. Yeah. Um, and Favreau, having honed his craft with the as a filmmaker, like with the weirdest series of films. Elf. Elf, which is great. Right. Delirious, lovely charming yeah. full-hearted classic christmas movie yeah so he goes from writing swingers to directing maid right to directing elf um, and after elf wasn't it like zathura zathura yeah which is actually yeah. one of those movies that again he's working with Kristen stewart he's yep. working with real actors yeah josh hutcherson i think was one of yep. the kids um and it's it's a it's a jumanji knockoff yeah. there's really like it's based on another book from the guy but it's the same basic structure you get into this thing that won't stop playing you right. until it's over and it's still somehow exciting and interesting, and because I went in dreading it and thinking, why is John Favreau's name on? But this? he brought he brought something to it. Yeah, and it's like, oh, humanity. That's why. Um, yeah, there's little moments where people are allowed to feel in the middle yeah. of this giant thing that Jumanji never had time for. Um, Jumanji as a concept is like, I don't know why people love it. It's one of the cruelest and nastiest it's children's dark. films. It's so it scary. Is. I thought about, I was like trying to think of what I wanted to show my six year old last oh, weekend. Can you do that? And I, well, first I was like, oh, Jumanji. That was and I'm like. No, right. They yeah. marketed that as a kids' movie. Like that is not a kids' dead movie. dead in the first two it's seconds. It's horrifying. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, if and you, then you had space uh, aliens and cowboys. Oh, or cowboys versus aliens. See, I, that was I actually, after Iron Man. I actually, was it? Yeah. I actually will confess that I lost interest in him as a filmmaker when I told you I no longer feel obligated to go and see those giant movies. Yeah. Which is very liberating. <laughs> but I kind of lost interest in him as, as a filmmaker until Chef. Right, because all of those were coming out, and I hear what you're saying, and I should watch them because oh, I I would love to bother with Cowboys versus. But I'd love to see the what you're talking about, like the humanity that he would bring to something of that size. And Iron Man, I did admire, even though I'm I'm not a fan of that of that world. But then when I when I when finally Chef, I felt like that was the first real return to not return to form, but return to that kind of a small move, a small plot light character driven 
movie about heart and relationships and love and friendship and father. You know, father. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was really, that's when we finally spoke, and he was really open about that. Like, this is him re-embracing that aesthetic and being able to. He said he set it as a challenge for himself. Can I make a movie with nothing? Right. After three straight, I mean, four, if you count Zathura, four giant sci-fi movies. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the weird illusion you create for yourself, right? Like, look at all the favors he pulled. He's got... This is a movie that has right. the Black Widow and, uh, and Iron Man just kind of cameoing, right? Uh, because they're pals, yeah, and why not? It's also kind of nice to see him do that after, you know, Iron Man two and, and Cowboys and Aliens, where he is really clearly working against the giant machinery required. Yes, um, with with the Iron Man stuff, the thing that Favreau accidentally created is the sense that you can cast a level talent; that it's no longer you're no longer stooping to do these movies. Like Robert Downey Jr., right. who was... He was starting his comeback. Like, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang had already happened. Yeah. People knew what he could do. Yeah. And to see him take a superhero movie, maybe even five years earlier, would have been like, really? People don't make those. And now, he's legit. he single-handedly legitimizes every other actor. That's really interesting. And that's Favreau doing that. Yeah. Know, just having the, having the will to do it, to make it happen. You never would... Watching, going back and thinking about Stringers, you never would have imagined that, that track for him. That he would yeah. have gone down that path and done what he's done and and go in that direction. It's yeah. it's sort of fascinating and it really is. Yeah. And and that you know, like people like um uh who well Gunn's a good example or like Taika Watiti is doing the next Thor film as yeah. a director. Kenneth Branagh did the first one, Patty Jenkins was gonna do the second one, then she got fired and they replaced her with a guy from Game of Thrones and, right. and uh, Taylor. And it's just like there there's this constant argument between uh, Ryan Coogler is doing Black Panther. Right. Like, we have real filmmakers taking on these corporate machines mm-hmm. and bringing a spark of life to them. Well, I'm isn't, sure. Isn't that what Christopher Nolan doing Batman? I mean, Christopher yeah. Nolan could have done anything after Memento and pre Inception. Was after Inception. Yeah, no, it was Memento could and have then, done anything. Uh, did he go straight to. No, Memento, Insomnia, and Batman. Insomnia, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah Sammy was good. Yeah, uh, but, it sure was. But you have this, like, this sense that John Favreau is. Uh, by making Chef, he's kind of creating this soft landing for himself and getting away from the the giant machinery mm-hmm. in a way that's more acceptable somehow than how Joss Whedon exited the Avengers project by saying, eh, you know, I'll try and I kind of felt Marvel's thumb on my neck in a few scenes. Like, Favreau, somehow he, he has avoided blame for Iron Man 2 and Cowboys, versus, Cowboys and Aliens. And I think... Mm-hmm. I think he doesn't deserve the blame because I get the sense that as a storyteller, he's just doing his best to yeah. work with what nobody's holding on him it. against the, those failures. Like nobody's, yeah, no, no one's. But it didn't, and it did, certainly didn't hurt his career at all. Yeah, and Chef is good. Like that's yes. the other thing. Like I, I've yeah. almost been treating it like it's this, like a fallback position. But that's not fair to him. He did make the movie he wanted to yeah. make, and it's weirdly warm and human and sappy and a little mm-hmm. a little bit and then concentrating on a father-son relationship is the sort of thing he's never really done before and he's he's putting himself front and center in a way that um, maybe another filmmaker might not simply by virtue of acting in it as well yeah but it speaks to a sense of himself knowing what works best like he knows his own best qualities as an actor mm-hmm. probably I would guess he's directed himself more than anybody else yeah like has directed him he's in yeah for he's sure in the two Iron Man movies he's and, not he does little tiny cameos in other people's movies but he's very rarely anything and you were saying before you, hit, you turned uh, the machine on that you you were a big fan of Made 
Yeah. That you thought made was underrated. It is underrated. Like, even now, because the only way you can get it is in this two Blu-ray with... Uh, and I should swingers. rewatch it, because when I saw it, obviously, I brought in all the expectations of the swingers. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, I remember loving the dynamic. I've only seen it probably just once. Okay. Because I didn't love it. But I remember loving the dynamic between them. And that that Vince Vaughn went in a different direction with the characters. He was he was it was quite annoying. Yeah. But in a way that I enjoyed because you know I he can do no wrong. <laughs> um, but I remember feeling that there was something missed that that I was missing that that heart you know that, yeah. and I think ultimately in the end of that movie that despite John Favreau being annoyed by Vince Vaughn's terrible decisions and all that he does make a choice or give something at the end to you know solidarity came first and right. brotherhood and all that but. I don't know. For some some reason, it kind of it didn't work on me. Maybe. I should watch it again. Maybe, Maybe you'll lend me this beautiful Blu-ray. Sure, disc. I can do that. Yeah. Uh, Made is more of a heist picture in a yeah, weird way. It like, is because it's not exactly, but it's kind of like Digstown or right. Uh, well, there was another film I was thinking of that just flew out of my head, but but it's a it's a movie that is like a a slow motion heist picture disguised as a yeah. comedy. Yeah. Um, and it's the kind of film that got overlooked really quickly because I think it was dumped in the summer. I remember it didn't open in a perfectly no, yeah. uh, great window. No, it didn't. And the hype was built entirely around the Swingers reunion. And it was only a couple of years later and everybody was really excited. And then as soon as you realize they're delivering something different, yeah. there was hostility. Yeah. Which is weird. I mean, yeah. it's like people should be allowed to grow and change and screw around with their dynamic. Yeah, everybody wanted swingers too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if you look at the poster, like the central image was yeah. was Vaughn yammering and Favreau looking exhausted and, with a and black angry eye. with a black eye. Yeah, yeah. like he's yeah. tired of this already. Yeah. Which I thought just was a really nice way of setting up the idea that you're not going to get what you think you want. Yeah. But you are going to get something interesting. And then, nope, just hostility. Yeah. People didn't want it. I wasn't hostile that I just didn't. It just didn't totally work for me. Wasn't he? Did he also play? He played like a really tough guy. Right? Yeah, he's a boxer. He's a, he's a boxer. Yeah, he's a tough guy. Yeah, which is a weird because I mean the other thing too is that um, Favreau slimmed down very aggressively for swingers. He's he's pretty big in the other films you see him in just before. Yeah. And when I saw him in person, he was already starting to get a little bit wider again. Like right. He clearly couldn't maintain it. His body's just not built for that. Right. And in Made, his bulk works. Like it really. Right. It doesn't feel like oh that guy got big. It it's, oh, he's huge. Like right. He's trying to be, yeah, he's like trying to this be beefy guy. Yeah. Um, he's somebody, like, and that speaks to me to this kind of, of a filmmaker or an actor anyway with, in conflict with himself. Like, he's just, he's not a slender person. He no. never will be. I never will be. Like, we're just not built for it. I'm sure. Not, I'm not huge or anything, but you I'm, look great. I'm barrel chested. You look great, I'm, Norm. Thank you. Yeah. But, no, there's, like, I'm never going to be slender. Yeah. Uh, and neither is he. And I like that really spoke to me too. Like the sense that he's punishing himself by dieting and, and working out and doing whatever it took to be right. Mikey. And then to let that go and turn it into some other direction like he does in made and just use his size as a, as a, as a, a pro instead of a con. When I went, when I was, went to LA for the first time after swingers, I can't remember how much, how long it was probably five or six years after swingers. And I remember going to, as one of the places that I wanted to go on my swingers tour, I went to the, the bar where Marty and where, you know, the piano, uh, oh, piano duo, right. Marty Allen. Yeah. Uh, I went to that in, in Las Vegas. I went to that bar with my friend Allen who lived there and we were like, oh, we're going to, hey baby, let's go, let's go check out the babies. And we were at that bar and Vince Vaughn was there. <laughs> working the bar like between two you know beautiful woman over here a beautiful baby over here and mm. he was drinking and he was wearing the jacket and it was I almost couldn't bear it not because I was like I first I freaked out oh my god it's Vince Vaughn sure. in the, but then it was there was a sadness to it 
that he, uh, you know, it's six or seven years or after mm-hmm. Swingers. And so this would have been before his the Vonessance. Right before the Vonessance. And, and I can't believe I just said that. And the Vonessance. Well, you can coin that. <laughs> and I just remember feeling kind of sad for him. Not that I'm sure he was enjoying himself and he was having a great time. It kind of felt like it gave me the impression that he was kind of in the same place. Yeah. Still trapped. Yeah, he's still trapped. Trend. Trend. Still stra- trapped as, as trend. He kind of always has been trying to break out of that. That's when we see him do those roles as a serial killer. Yeah. And, you know, I enjoyed his performance in True Detective, but I did find there, I did find at times that he was trying to push against something, you know, that, that that there was a menace that he was trying to convey in that, Mm -hmm. in that, in that show that, that it was hard for me to, to, to buy or to, to connect with, you know, there was a, it was, I don't find him menace, physically menacing in that way. Yeah. Which is weird because he's really tall. He's huge. could conceivably be used that way. And he's an intimidating guy in his own right. Like he's powerful, right? And he's intimidating. He commands a room. And I think that's what he was doing in True Detective or, you know, that's where he was going. And God love him. Good for him. Mm -hmm. I wish, I hope someday I'm in that position that I can stretch, you know, myself in those ways. Yeah. So I do love him, though, deeply, deeply yeah. love him. Clay Pigeons is due for a rediscovery. You I think so? I think so. I think. I mean, there's a bunch of those polygram films that just sort of went away because yeah. the rights lapsed. Right, there was nowhere there's, for them to go. Yeah, someone's got a film. He didn't pick it up. It's like Jimmy Garofalo has a gun in it, and Joaquin Phoenix is yeah. in it. Oh, yeah, Joaquin, all kinds of yeah. stuff you can work with. Yeah, 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 it's true. It's true. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll give that one another watch. Yeah, I remember it was gorgeous, too. Yeah. Really beautifully shot. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's one of those things that I haven't seen in probably... 18 or 19 years like since, since it, it came out maybe since the DVD was released I yeah. think it was one of the early is ones. it in here somewhere oh I'm sure it's in a box <laughs> it's they're all here but uh, but yeah so the um, so we've basically covered the entire history of, of Swingers so. and Favreau so yeah. the, the final question then comes back to something you've already kind of tackled which sure. is how have you like what of Swingers or what of its DNA has found its way into your work mm-hmm. or into your own approach beyond possibly the stuff you've already talked about um yeah i mean certainly it's the it's that that blueprint that's that simplicity of that arc mm-hmm. you know i like to really boil it down certainly in my i mean there's the writing and then there's my acting so in the writing i'm really always looking for that uh the redemption the redemption of the char- of, of a character and how simply can you portray it while keeping complexity underneath it do you know what I mean so as I said at the beginning it's he's staring at the phone he can't wait for that phone to ring for her to call to the end of the arc where she calls and he puts her on hold and and forgets about it there was something so eloquent about that and simple and and yet it's it was such a broad it was such a much bigger deeper thing so I'm always looking for that with the characters Um, then there's that there's that notion of the way they talk and the the authenticity to that and I think as an actor, that's where I was, where I really keyed into it, and it got me excited about the way that characters talk. And, and certainly in the films that I'm that I've made with Sean Garrity, who you'll be speaking with tomorrow, I believe. Indeed, um, we have found it. We're very interested in vernacular, and you know, when we're shooting and writing and we're shooting, it's all about does this sound? Is this the way that people talk? Is this sound real? We don't want. We're, we're, we hate exposition. We we despise artifice in the way characters talk. And when we're shooting, Sean will always, if I flub a line or I, or I, or I stumble over something as I'm doing it, I'm, there's a voice in the back of my head going, "Oh, that's going to go in the movie," because he'll always use that, t- yeah. you know, that take. He really wants to capture that 
there was something about watching swingers, hearing the way those guys talk, watching the world try to talk like that, like every guy yeah. would, you know, through, you know, beautiful babies into this vernacular, you know, or your money became this catchphrase. And and then trying to emulate that as a young writer and then seeing how that failed and going, okay, so it's not that easy. There's something special about it and something skillful. There's an art art to that. It's not just about, you know, being quirky and, and, and you know, unique. Yeah. So that's something as an actor I'm trying to find those rhythms and that and that and I also really I think though another way it's affected my work was reading about how they got the financing, how they got investors. People were reading that script and going, I, I don't understand this. This is they talk weird. Mm-hmm. And then what they had to do was do the stage reading where they'd go, just come and watch. Let us read it. Let us perform it for you. So when you can see what we mean. So there's something about that proof of concept idea that really excited me. So I've done that on occasion for different reasons, but shown investors or funders like, no, this is what we mean. You know, look at this or, you know, grab, spend a weekend with the video camera and tried to capture the essence of what it is we're trying to convey because it's hard uh it's hard not necessarily hard to, to convey it as a writer but it's hard to convince to to key into what people how people are reading it yeah you know what i mean it's like when you get an email it's like when you write an email and you you think it's obvious that you're being sarcastic oh yeah and then and then the reader takes reads it and is offended or yeah. doesn't understand cold it. text is a nightmare right and, and it's got to be worse with a screenplay because you're basically asking people to direct the film in their heads like you a have little to bit be able to visually people i i hate to say this as an absolute but it seems to be true people who make decisions with money are generally not the people who can make movies yeah well, they, they there's a certain lack them. of imagination yeah. right they want to know what is it going to look like what's it going to sound like yeah. what are the two things that all that i already know that it's going to be like right like, what exactly is it? tell me the two die hard swingers meets swingers right like, how do you do that? oh right. god i just invented something what did you say die hard meets caddyshack die hard meets no. swingers Sorry. although die hard meets caddyshack <laughs> would be awesome. interesting too yeah well, of course but so but your job my job as a screenwriter is my job is to write it in such a way that is it, that you, that you don't have to use your imagination. Right. You're going to see, but it's there's limitations right. to that, right? And so I think when I I'm very inspired by the way those guys, by the way those guys pulled it off, and and really just that you can see that 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 this movie and the story came from their heart. Mm-hmm. They weren't trying like Honorage didn't come from anyone's heart. Yeah, right? it came from a bunch of other ideas and thoughts and you know mech- mechanics and and and. Swingers was was it's there's a purity to it. So I go whether I'm whether it's my awkward sexual adventure like a big broad sexy raunchy comedy mm-hmm. which still has or, two deeply felt performances right in the middle of it. I thanks. Mean, I just, yeah, that's in fact Hampshire is playing a character who's very similar to Mikey in that she is completely incapable of uh, enabling herself. Like she just like the whole thing with yeah. the taxes is just because she's never finished them. Yes, which I find absolutely fascinating and so real. In the middle of this big, ridiculous hmm. movie, that's like, oh, this is a person with, like, all of her problems are rooted in a really human failing hmm. that I totally get. Like, I, I, we talked about, she and I talked about that when we were supposed to be talking about a different movie once. <laughs> it's just like, that, like, where did that come from? And she said, I don't know, it was in the script, I just went with it. And it's like, yeah, but, but you really went with it. Oh, yeah, she doesn't even, I mean, we could go, we could do a whole other podcast about well, yeah. why that was so perfect for her. Just a weird intuitive And how thing. her personality, how that fit, fit nicely into certain elements of her personality. I won't dig deep into that, <laughs> but so whether it's that kind, that kind of movie, or something darker, um, you know, like Borealis, something more, cha- a little more challenging, mm-hmm. a little more um, emotional, I'm always looking for the, trying to find the purity of it, and then I end up abandoning. I mean, the ones that I can't find that purity, I'll abandon them. Like, okay. you know, if I've got like a slate of scripts and I'm working on them all, 
And so that becomes a challenge for me, is, uh, and, and is finding the, the swingers' purity in it yeah. and then bringing it to life. And can you do that? Can you actually write multiple projects at once? I have six. I'm writing, I'm writing six right now, Jesus. but they're not. But it's not like I'm writing one and then I hit enter, okay, then save on that, and then turn it. I, it's like for two weeks I'll work on this one okay. and then I'll put it over here and I'll work on this one. One of the projects that I'm going to tell you you'd be interested is a, the Phil Hartman uh, biopic. Oh, you're working? Holy so I'm shit. So I've been hired to write based on my awkward sexual adventure. I got the job. because they, That actually makes a kind of sense. It does it? Because yeah. I didn't get it. But it was like they it can meet a comedy tension. with the sort of heart you know that, uh, that they liked from that and mm-hmm. tension. So I'm writing so I'm it's an authorized Phil Hartman, we have we right. have the uh, life rights. We have the estate. I'm I'm talking to Phil's daughter, wow. you know, regularly. God, and the responsibility involved in that. It's turned into this giant <laughs> thing that is really overwhelming and emotional and crazy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but but so even you know something like that, you know, bringing a true life a story to the screen and having to dramatize the elements of it, gotta go back to the purity, mates. Find the realness in it and find the find the heart, find the beating heart. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you can, if I can do that every time, then I'm going to reach people. Maybe not everybody, but at least some people. Yeah. Well, the people who got swingers really got it. They I mean, that's really a good did. example. And the people who didn't made entourage. I was exactly. I was stunned by how it resonated because, like I said, when you watch it and you think this is for me, mm-hmm. then I'm like, but wait a minute, millions of people yeah. are also feeling that. There at first, it's it's an affront. It's like no, yeah. it's this is mine. And you can't all be connecting to it because that means we're all the, the we're all the same. And then you go, oh, oh yeah. we're all the same. Yeah. That's nice. And that's sort of what defines the things that get into the yeah. the, the lexicon or the pop culture. You know, the zeitgeist. Yeah, no, yeah. it's true. Whenever it's the empathy machine, right? When everybody understands something the same way. Yeah. So you, one thing you said has been picking at me, which is that you were we were both like at the perfect point to see it. Yeah. I think we were right at the same age. So how often do you revisit it? Like, is it the kind of thing that has stuck with you? Or? Yeah. So I did for years decades i probably watched it you know multiple times a year mm-hmm. and then uh, when the digital revolution happened my dvd and uh, my dvd and i had kids and i had to lose space in my house my dvds unlike you went yeah. in a box and they went into a storage locker yeah. no my dvds are basically holding up the wall <laughs> right what happens if you pull one out it's like a jenga it's a little scary sometimes. it's scary so um so no, I don't revisit it too often. It's the it's the kind of thing where when I'm if I'm flipping channels and it's on TV, of course I'm going to watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Or if I see that it's coming up, I'm going to stick around and watch it. But it's not it's not an appointment viewing for me. It's not like something I need to go back. I used to do that. I used to have a, a much more refined, a smaller DVD collection, and it was those movies that I wanted to watch them uh, all of them regularly. Right. All the movies we talk about, Out of Sight, Pulp Fiction, Run Sport Dogs, Say Anything, True Romance, Breakfast Club is in there. Um, and now it's not, it's not, there's not a need for it. But when I was choosing which movie I wanted to talk about today and looking at my list, um, even though I've probably seen some other ones more than this, this was the one where I was like, I don't need to watch it before we chat. Like, it's, it's so there. Like, it's so much a part of my, uh, my being that I, I don't need to revisit it to access it. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's just if the, the ones we really connect to there, they, yeah, they're in our heads. They, yeah. they don't leave. I mean, I've seen it a hundred times, sure, but probably not in a few years. So, and it's nice to it was nice to think about it and I kind of go through it scene by scene. Yeah, um, it's kind of weird. Like, I feel like we've really only touched on the, the surface. We've discussed the vibe more than the film itself, but yeah, we got like that's sort of the point, right? Like that's what you take I, away. I guess it's so. The feeling of it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we did point at 
particular episodes or scenes mm-hmm. and, and dialogue and things like yeah. that. I can never tell in the conversation. I can never tell how close or far we are from the goal of the film. Right. And I, I don't feel bad about this one. I think this one went sure. pretty well, but it's one of those moments where, and I'm doing exactly what Mikey does. It's like, did we get everything? Yeah, you're analyzing Should I call it? it? Should we start again? Should oh, we, no, we got, I mean, up? I can tell you, I think we did as it. an outsider looking in, uh, we did get to the heart and soul of it. I mean, we, we, we kind of, I feel like we did. I feel like I've, I've been able to kind of, you know, I mean, there's some stuff I would have liked to, get, to touch on that we didn't get to. <laughs> like the dance not at the end, the dancing right. where you actually physically see his confidence. That's true. Come and, back. And, and again, that ties into the whole body issue thing where he's yeah. been, like, the film has been hiding this, the gracefulness, the fact that that yes. can do this. And that's, again, that's something that is striking in its construction because it's got to be in the script. Like, you don't write that scene unless you know you can dance. Oh, of and course. To put it you in build it or you build around. You reverse engineer from it, yeah. right? Yeah, and to make Mikey so awkward emotionally and hide this grace, this because he's great. Like yeah. that's movie star dancing. That's yeah. great, and it's shot well and it's lit beautifully. It's perfect. Yeah. It's all perfectly done. That's the sort of thing that, and I had, had forgotten that it is the climax. Like it's, it's the, the emotional climax. climax of the film. It's the it's it's the climax in every way, and it's that it's the I don't know how long it is. We'll say it's forty five seconds. Yeah, him starting long. to dance, and he's totally nervous, and he's the Mikey from the beginning of the movie, and then by the end of that dance number, he is the Mikey from the end of the movie, yeah. and you watch it happen in an organic, beautiful way. You watch his friends watching it, yeah. and then they say, "Where did that come from?" And he's like, "I took some ballroom dancing." You know, it's just sort of very slyly, and it's just this perfect ending. And it also is an, a lesson in how uh, a climax, how what, I mean, think of it, I mean, compared to the climax of, say, Iron Man, also mm-hmm. a great climax. Big explosions, sure. bells and whistles. Software this, fighting software, which software. is my, my bugaboo with these movies. Okay, sure. Yeah. But this is just the smallest, you know. And well, we'd, be, we'd be remiss not to mention that this is also the movie where the conversation began around how long do you wait before you'll call your baby? That's like, true. Oh, you know, six days. Six days. Six days? Yeah. That whole conversation started. That's become a huge part of dating culture, of, you know, of these kinds of movies, conversations. Anything about dating now, whether it's Aziz Ansari's show. I was just going to say. Whatever it is. There's a whole chapter about it in his book. In his book, book yeah. Romance. How long do you wait to call your babies? Yeah. That started here. I mean, that's I, true. I began with this. was a nucleus. It was an unspoken taboo. No one, no one had ever laid the law down. Yeah. But, yeah. God, yeah, when I think about this, an entire generation, maybe now more than that, have grown up internalizing the rules and the, the behaviors that are shown here as negatives. Yeah. Because that's what you're not... Like, you're not supposed to listen to Trent. That's the whole point of the... the right. Other, the other big revelation of the film, not only is it that Mikey's going to be okay, but it's that Trent was not uh, someone to model yourself on. Right. Like, Trent is going to be off roofing women for most of the next decade. <laughs> right. Um, and it's going to be really uncomfortable. <laughs> To have those conversations, I'm, and that's why I'm glad they never did a sequel. That's why I'm glad that made. We don't want to see. I don't know. Yeah, I don't Trent's going to be. Yeah, I don't want to go to that bar in Los Feliz and find him still there. Yeah, exactly. Like Vaughn's moved on, but I'm pretty sure Trent's still there. Yeah, uh, but yeah, for the movie to have that kind of emotional intelligence, like I want that to be a teaching tool. <laughs> I want people to have well, to see it this could in health be, class. Right? I mean, it's an interesting thing that you bring up because you because you're right. So much of it is about like is a cautionary tale about how how men 
you know, treat women or how men should treat women or mm-hmm. how men should look predatory, that sort of predatory yeah. angle, like the, that whole, the game game. Yeah. It's came. not as misogynistic no. as I remember, which no, is it's, really refreshing. Which the movie is assuring. Yeah. The game itself is nightmare. Right. No, but the, you're right. So the movie actually, that's why you forgive it is because there is, there is sort of a purity of affection and amidst all of their, they're confused. Yeah. Like Trent's spouting this wisdom about, oh, I wait six days to call my baby. You wait six days, I wait seven. Well, I used to wait seven days. Now I think that six days is money. Yeah, six days. They're having these conversations about how how to manipulate women or how, but they're so confused about it, and there's it's so transparent. And Mikey just sits and watches them and thinks, you guys are idiots. Yeah. You're lovable idiots though because you love each other. And then the scene ends with the two boys with their arm around each other, and it's all about, you know... I remember the, the women in my life didn't love the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm wondering too, if that's... too real. Maybe, or maybe it because it really is about that men... That, that the love that men have for each other, you know, I'm, I'm proposing this as a possible thing. That yeah, men, but the love that men have it's... for each other will always supersede their need, you know, to partner up with, you know, I don't know. Yeah you know mating or whatever but 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 that that heart that beats underneath it is what gives it its drama what's gives yeah. what lets them get away with some of that stuff you know and ultimately they're all they were all after the same thing which is they were all just lonely guys who you know wanted to have you know someone next to them and, and yeah you know it's, it's one of those things where you can reduce it to this sort of it's not a childish need. It's a primal need to be hugged. Like you just, yes, you need to be close. You need, yeah. To, you know, and and there's this, there's these two conflicting drives in the film constantly. It's the, the tribalism of being with your guys, mm. and just you know, I really want someone to understand me. I just need to be loved. Yes, and I don't doubt that Trent and Mikey love each other, but it's a love that is pulling them down mm. and keeping them from growing up and and mm-hmm. transcending the the childishness and and yet you can still like there's these weird moments where the tribes intersect where the you know there's this bizarre fight that almost gets people killed and then the next scene they're just hanging playing playing hockey hockey with those guys with the same guys because eh you know yeah testosterone flared up and now it's over I love that that's it was an incredibly offbeat unexpected moment when he pulls the gun when sue pulls the gun yeah on those guys and and it, it, you're like what everybody's horrified yeah there's a gun yeah. in this movie where and and then you're like where is oh no is this going to go there like is this going to take us into and then they joke about it they're like yeah. what are you doing have you not seen boys in the hood now one of us gets shot yeah right? okay i'm quoting it like this yeah. i haven't seen it in years but they, that's my point this and then it just playing. hangs around in your head because it's it's literally unforgettable like it's just so and then so the way great. they apologize to each other because then Vince and, Su- and they have Vince and um, not this the character Sue the guy with the gun and, and John Favreau's character Mikey they have this blowout and Sue calls him a little bitch and he really lays into him you're such a pussy and you and it's it hits him right in the gut and it sends him off and then they have this apology moment in the doorway when he comes over to his apartment at the end where they're like they all that's put aside it's these two men these two boys wanting to hug each other yeah, right? yeah. So I, I'm so sorry I said that yeah you know I love you buddy yeah me too and I'm like you don't see that a lot and it kind of get they get away with some of the more misogynistic stuff because there's an emotional maturity to it yeah it yeah. feels like I mean it's like the it's a bad example because I'm going to use it like it's their armor yeah. it's the way they front in front of each other and the way yeah. they just puff each other up and it's they're inevitably those choices are bad choices yes like every single time someone tries to impress somebody it's yeah. disastrous yeah or it's just it just lands in the room like a lead balloon and people just sort of stand around and wait for it to pass but what you get out of that is 
people learning to be their better selves and figuring out who they are. And yeah. they're, they're too old to be doing this now. They're too old to be figuring out. You're too old to be figuring out who you are in your 20s. Except that that's not true anymore. That's how that's the world Because that's when works. you do it. Yeah. yeah. It's a coming of age story. Yeah. Right? In their 20s. Do you watch, uh, did you watch Man Seeking Woman? I did. So um, I'm thinking now that that's a bit of a, a bit of a swingers. Kind you can of. see. It's about a movie. It's a mo- It's a show about a guy who wants to be in swingers. Like he wants to have that sure. kind of cool. He wants to have that kind of assurance. Yeah. He's Mikey and he wants to be more Trent. But then you've got the friend. And you know, there's there's a bit of that, yeah. you know, that There's language in Trent. Yeah. But yeah, yeah no, man seeking women. It's weird because the only way to deal with the kind of issues that swingers brought out mm. is to create a sense of surrealism and not to treat them head on. Because if you do that, you get something like love, which is too painful. Yeah. Because it's all about the flaws of the characters with very very little of the redemptive yes. stuff. And and I I wonder if that's just where we are now culturally, like we're more ready to watch these maybe lacerations of there's been enough sort of anti-hero driven like Louis yeah is doing it too yeah that there's an acceptance of it now it's like it's like you can you can present that now and not be not be worried that you're going to alienate an audience so we can we can handle it now Do we want to? Is the question. I right? still like loving characters. I, also I still enjoy like loving characters. Having a rooting interest in. Things. Yeah, I had a hard time loving her in in love. You know, I had a hard time. Gilly James' that. character. Yeah, I had a really hard time. She makes, but 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 then as the as an artist, I also that interests me. I as you, you know, if you've seen the work, that it's about. I like put creating a character who is very flawed, who makes very, you know, who makes questionable choices. Early on in the film, and then and then working at earning your redemption or your love for them, you yeah. know. And I think that that's so. So I also am interested in that journey. Yeah. Well, I've always I've always liked the idea of being confronted, and I, I respond to movies that say, "Look at this mess. Keep watching." Yes. See. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See what which else is happens. which is Mikey in Swingers. Totally. Look at this mess. Now let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. My thanks to Jonas Chernick, whose latest feature, Borealis, just opened theatrically in Ottawa and Vancouver and is available for rental and sale on iTunes Canada right now. If you're in New York, it's opening the Brooklyn Film Fest this Friday, June 3rd. If you're of a mind, you can also look for a couple of Jonas's earlier collaborations with director Sean Garrity, Blood Pressure, and My Awkward Sexual Adventure on iTunes and Netflix Canada. Oh, and while you're looking for stuff, don't forget How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town, which co-stars Jonas and is also available for rental and sale on iTunes and features the most friends of this show to date in, like, ever. You can find Jonas on Twitter at Jonas Chernick, all one word, and you can find Swingers on Blu-ray and DVD from Lionsgate in the U.S. and Entertainment One in Canada. It's also available for rental and purchase on iTunes and Google Play, but pick up the Blu-ray if you can. It's pretty cheap, it looks great, and it's loaded with extra features. You can also get that twofer with Made that we mentioned. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be swell. Let's go with uh, Beautiful Baby as this week's call sign. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 